Good morning and greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I want to read a few verses there. Romans chapter 12, begin reading at verse 3 and read to verse 10. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another. We'll stop reading there. This is a passage where Paul is talking about the church, the body. For we, so we being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So we, as a church, just did a study through the book Church Matters. And as we were going through that study... Uh, a member in the congregation here gave me an outline for a message. And actually, it's going to be two messages probably. But the idea was, the thought was that as we went through that book, we talked a lot about being unified as a church. And how do we practically be unified as a church? And what is needed for us to not only be unified, but also to grow together as a body. And here's a quote from the outline that I was given. Now we need now we need practical ways to relate and reach out to each other and people outside the church that bring us together and help us promote the unity, promote unity and provide strength. And then Two things we're going to look at this morning from that outline. The one is the church is a body, and the other is the relationship between leadership and laity. Um, and the title of the message this morning is simply Roles in the Church. Um, so I have a drawing here of a body, of the church as a body. And you can see from the, from the verses we read in Romans 12, you can see the little people here that make up that body. Everyone members one of another. We are part of the body of Christ. We know that Christ is the head of the church. And so Christ is the head. We are the body. I drew in the heart as an example of the heart of Christ, a meek, lowly, and serving heart. That's the heart of Christ said that was his heart. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. That is the heart of Christ. 
thinking a little bit further into the message then about um, in the relationship between leadership and laity, the biblical model for drawing leadership is, or for selecting leadership is to, is to call leadership out of the body. And those men are to be chosen, those men for leadership are to be chosen from within the body and they're to, to be living out specific things, specific characteristics. Uh, one of the main things that I want us to, to see, though, is in Acts 6, verse 3, it says, Wherefore, brethren, this is when they were calling out deacons to serve the church. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so what I want us to, to get out of that is the idea that, that they were looking, when they looked for leadership, they were looking for men that were full of the Holy Spirit. And that is how Jesus performed His ministry, full of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. And so what we're looking for, when we look for leadership for the church, the biblical motto is that we would look for people who are close to the heart of Christ. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the heart of Christ, if you go to Ephesians, I mean, sorry, if you go to Philippians chapter 2, the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ is the mind of a servant as well. And so that's why I have service included in that heart. I'd like for us to think this morning about the respiratory system of the body. I drew it in somewhat in blue as the Holy Spirit. Oxygen is necessary for us to function. What does oxygen do? Oxygen helps organisms to grow, reproduce, and turn food into energy. And so oxygen is essential for every part of your body. Our breath, Think, think about the respiratory system as the breath of God coming in through the head, coming, to the, coming into the body, and then the heart pumping that out to every part of the body. So the Holy Spirit, um, that life-giving oxygen to help each part of the body grow and develop and reproduce and to turn food into energy what they take into energy. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, but this spake he of the Spirit, which, he, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So I, I read that verse because of the idea of the fact that the, the Holy Spirit working in the believer is to be something that, that is, is building him up and growing him and producing a flow of life out of him that is reproducing constantly. I want to say just a little bit more about that as well. Each part of the body has, has two functions. One part that the one function that the body has is that it reproduces its own kind, it reproduces its own cells. And so there's, you're constantly having cells die off in your body. And those cells are being reproduced by the organ that is that specific part of the body. Your skin gets 
cells scraped off of it. It reproduces skin cells. But if you remove the part of the body, like if you get your gallbladder removed, your body no longer produces gallbladder cells. So those function, that function is part of the function of a body part, is that it reproduces itself. The other thing that the, each body part does is that it serves the rest of the body. Well, it's not only reproducing itself, it is also serving a function that is connected with the rest of the body. I'd like to think about the nervous system, which I don't have drawn in here, but it would look somewhat like the vascular system, only it's down through the, down through the neck and out through the trunk that runs right down the, right down the center of our backs. I like to think about the nervous system as the Word of God. It comes, it's a message. We, we interact with the world. We read God's Word. We send a message to God about what we're seeing. And, and through His Word, He sends us back the answer about how to react and respond. You could maybe draw some other things from that, but... John 15, 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. There's going to be answers. God, if we're connected, if we're connected with God, if we're abiding in Him, in His body, abiding connected with Him, there's going to be a flow of communication between us and God, a flow of, of operation that's going to happen. I'd like to think about the vascular system as discipleship. First, personal discipleship of Christ. Connectedness with Christ Himself. Connectedness with the heart of God. And the heart of Christ. And following Him. Drawing close to Him. This includes teaching and preaching, but it is more than that. It comes from the heart of Christ, so it is only effective as it is humble and loving. It must carry Holy Spirit discernment and life. So the, the flow of the vascular system is, is, as discipleship, is people who are communicating, but they're communicating in the same way that Christ communicates. It's connectedness with God. It's also connectedness with one another. And as that vascular system flows out into all the body and the heart is pumping and it's traveling through, the other, part, through other parts of the body, to get to each individual part. 1 Corinthians 4.16 Wherefore I beseech you, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. And so Paul is calling them to be followers of him. And he's saying, I'm going to send Timothy who's going to share these same things with you about Christ. Ultimately about Christ. I'd like to think about the digestive system as the formation of theology and doctrine. It's how we divide the useful from the waste. We hear a lot of things. There's a lot of information out there, but how do we determine what is good and what is not good? How do, we how do we interpret this book? I don't know if you thought about it, but as we went through a week of revivals here a while back, there was quite a few times that Brother Carl Heatwall mentioned 
the importance of theology and doctrine. And it's because it's, it's how we think about God. It's how we think about life. It's how we think about how we should function as believers in the world. So it's extremely important. Hebrews 5.14 But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now he's comparing that to, he's comparing that to milk. And he's saying meat which is much harder to digest than milk, is for those who are of strong age because they have, through, through use, have trained their senses to determine good and evil. They have, they have learned to digest the Word of God and to separate what's good and what's bad. I'd like to compare our practical application of the church to the skin, to our skin. And it's important that our skin properly represent the heart or properly represent the person. So it's, it's important that it properly represent the Spirit and the Word. But if the skin becomes the focus instead the heart of Christ, then we're looking in the wrong direction. We want to be moving in the right direction. We want to be moving towards the heart of Christ and then as we are healthy in that pursuit, the skin will reproduce and flow and be healthy as a result of us having the proper focus. Titus 2, 10 through 12. Not purloining, but shewing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We want to adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ by living lives of obedience to Him. But we can only do that through, through properly focusing on the person that He is and who He is and then living out expressions of that in our lives. And so we want to be drawing close to the heart of Christ. What's my point with all this? You pick one of those major systems, and you block it or remove it, and you're, in, you're paralyzed or dead. Just one. Irreducible, com irreducible complexity. You can't take away these major functions of the body and survive. They have to be in place. What does that mean for us? What's the point of all that? For the human body, it takes a tremendous amount of cooperation and working together for us to function properly. And it's no different in the church of God. Unless we are cooperating and working together in this kind of a unified, I don't know if unified is the right way to put it, coordinated, in this kind of a coordinated way, we will not be able to be successful as a church. We simply cannot be people who hover somewhere outside the body and expect to be successful in our Christian lives. It just doesn't work. It's not going to work. We can't be people who act in independent ways from the body. Now, I want to make a, 
I want to make a distinction here between what Paul's talking about in Romans 12 where he says that there are, that the body has been given different functions. That's talking about the fact that the hand does a different thing than the bicep and the foot. They, they have different functions. There's gifting that is different that's given into the church that's to be part of the functional process of the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of thing that we would call maybe a nervous twitch or an involuntary movement where it's not what the rest of the body wants to do. That kind of movement is just about always or pretty much always connected with some kind of a problem, some kind of a, a problem in the body that that is happening. We simply cannot function properly if we're disregarding the ways that we've agreed to function as a body. We have to work together on those things. We have to come together on those things. Starting out here, thinking about this idea of, of, the, of the church as a body, I hope I've given you a little bit of a picture of how much we need each other. Of how important it is for us as a body to recognize the value of each one. As I read through that passage there in Romans chapter 12, there are a lot of different gifts that were given for the support and strengthening of the church. And also in Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about the church, same thing. All those things are given for the strengthening of the church. Nobody is above anybody else. You block out these, these body functions, you're going to lose functionality as a body. Each one of you has a valuable role in the life of the church, but it's not above somebody else. My role is not above anybody else's role. It's a role that needs to be performed, but it's not above yours. Your role is not above mine or anybody else's. We need to have that kind of an understanding of the importance of each individual part that makes up this body here in this church. So now, thinking more specifically about different roles, um, like I said, we're going to finish up the message here talking about the roles of leadership in relation to laity. Um, we're also going to be looking at roles of uh, next Sunday, or not next Sunday, but the next time I preach, we're going to be looking at roles of uh, families, couples, and singles in the church, and also older men and older women, younger men and younger women in the church. So that's will give you kind of an idea about where we're going. But the idea of roles, I quote this from the outline I was given. By roles, I think of what they, meaning each group within the church, need to be doing to encourage and strengthen the brotherhood and also roles as far as related to evangelism and outreach. So taking the gospel out beyond ourselves. End of quote. I'm going to ask you a difficult question at this point. A difficult question for me to ask anyway. Can I just say it like it is this morning? I hope I can. I think I can. By God's hope, you will obtain. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mark. I might say some things this morning that you don't agree with. And 
I'm not going to be so much saying them in the fact that I'm being being condemning of people's position. I'm mainly going to be saying them as the, as as a way to get our mind stimulated to think about things in a different way. And I hope that I hope that makes sense to you this morning. Um, when I was in my mid twenties, Dana and I had to decide what we were going to do about church. And I was looking for a Book of Acts church. I was looking for people who were what the Book of Acts was. And so I did a lot of study. I wanted a biblical church. And I did a lot of study about what the church ought to be. And I don't have it all figured out. But I'm going to share with you some things that I see in as needs in not specifically in this body here but traps that conservative anabaptists have fallen into as a result of somewhat losing sight of the relationship the proper relationship between leadership and laity and i hope you can stay with me and i hope that we can discuss some things as we go along, um, you know, in the, in the future, probably not as we go along here this morning because we're going to run out of time if we do that. But I also wanted to say this about the congregation here. I have, one of the reasons why I feel free to preach this message is because I have sensed from you an openness and a readiness to engage with the Word of God and with the Gospel that makes me feel much more free to share this. Um, it is not my preference as a pastor here to tell you how the relationship ought to be between you and me. Um, but it's part of God's word. And I need, I need not, I best not back away from that just because it's not comfortable. Um, so I'm happy to share with you this morning from that perspective, I'll be using myself as an example through the ne- some of the next part of the message, and largely because I don't particularly want to put the other brothers here that are in leadership on the spot. Um, but I am not in any way lifting myself up by doing that, and I want that to be clear. I speak this morning as someone who I recognize needs to grow in my role. And your input is important for me to grow in my role. And so I need you as the body to speak into my life. And um, I appreciate when you do that. I was, it was, I was just thinking this morning as I was preparing this and kind of feeling this uncomfortableness of sharing about how often Paul in his letters like either used his position or his relationship to kind of push his point through. So I'm not as gifted as Paul at articulating myself and and writing things down, but hopefully we can just look at it from that perspective. I'm trying.
Okay, we're looking specifically this morning at, at the roles of leadership and laity. There are other relationships in, in, within the church in which some of these principles apply. But because we're looking at this specific thing, I'm not going to be talking about those other relationships. I'm going to be talking exclusively about the relationship and roles between leadership and laity. The biblical model for the relationship between leadership and laity in the church is a shepherd-sheep relationship. John 10, 14, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And then verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Acts 20, 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of God among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. I just want to point out there, considering the end of their conversation means considering the outcome of their lives. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Why is that verse important in relationship with that verse? Considering their in, the end of their conversation and considering the ongoing and unchanging example of Christ. So their lives and the life of Christ together, considering the end of their conversation, is applied to connecting that with the life of Christ and what he looks like. There's a few things I want to point out from these verses. Roles of a leader to follow Christ. For your life, for the life of the leader needs to be consistent or ought to be consistently following the life of Christ. It ought to be demonstrating Christ's life actively. And that means to lead by being a servant, to be humble, to be approachable, to be near the heart of Christ. To know our sheep, to seek relationship. That's a role, a responsibility of leadership. To feed the sheep, to give them teaching, instruction, counsel, guidance in how to live out, how to grow and be nourished in their Christian life. What are roles for laity? Also, the role of laity is to know Christ and to follow Him. To focus on His heart, becoming like Him. From these passages, also, to know their shepherd. To seek relationship with their shepherd. To hear their shepherd and to follow their shepherd. To hear them who have spoken unto you the word of God. To follow them whose faith follow. So two years ago, or a year and a half ago, I preached a message with that title, Whose Faith Follow. And it is much more, it is much more a developed understanding of what that means. So if you want to go back and, and want a, a more developed look at what this means, then go back and listen to that sermon. It's on our website. 
that was in August of 22. Shepherd-sheep relationship. Early last spring, my boys and I went to the stock sale and a little lamb ran into the ring by itself. And the boy said, you ought to buy that lamb. And so I bought that lamb. We went out to the, we had a crate on the back of the truck, but it was just a small lamb, probably weighed, I don't know, maybe 10, probably 15 pounds. And so I said, well, you boys can just carry it in the back seat. So we got it in the cab of the truck and they held it in the back seat and we took it home. But that lamb apparently was not used to humans. And we put the lamb in a little pen, probably a triangle pen, eight by eight size. We thought that thing was sealed up. And one of the boys ran, kind of ran up to the pen and scared that little lamb and he hit the gate and the gate was chained on the top, but it flexed the gate just enough that it made a crack about like this for just a little bit and he got his head in there and he just pushed through and he was gone. And I'm not talking about going like 10 yards. I'm talking about going like down through the woods going. Anyway, he got with the neighbor's cows and they were running all over the 40 acre pasture just back and forth. And we were out there with the mule and running on foot and trying to catch this thing. We chased it for probably 45 minutes. I ended up in the muck a time or two. It was, it was a mess. We finally caught this little lamb. I said, okay, boys, we are going to keep this thing in. And so we put it back in and tried to fix things up so that he couldn't get out again. And what happens? But the neighbor's dog runs over just about like the boy did earlier, ran over there and barked right by the gate. And they, the thing hit the gate again and just barely got its head through. And that was all it took. And it was gone. And this time we didn't find it. We looked everywhere for that lamb and we could not find it. A couple days went by, I figured the coyotes had gotten it. We looked, the boys went over and looked through the woods on the far side of the pasture. Anyway, I just happened to mention to, to a neighbor that lived probably a mile away across the, across the fields that something about the boys were looking for a lamb in the woods. And he said, oh, he said, there's a neighbor up the road that found a lamb and they've got it pinned up in their, in their, one of their stalls. And so he gave me his name and I called him and yeah, this lamb came just running in and we were able to catch him and he was all worn out. Anyway, it was our lamb and they had bottle fed this lamb for a couple of days in this little stall that they were keeping it in. So we went over and picked it up and, and the lamb had calmed down quite a bit from this bottle feeding. And so we took it home and I forget exactly what we did, if we made some bottles too or what, but anyway, this lamb tamed down and he became like a little puppy to the boys. He followed them everywhere they went. Didn't have to have that lamb in at all. All you had to do was walk outside, here'd come the little lamb, tripping right behind you, wherever you went, up on the porch, even into the house, if you'd let him. Anyway, um, so the boys and I both developed a really good close relationship with this lamb and it would just come up to us and rub against us and we'd rub it and just just really fun um anyway the neighbor called one day we got we bought some more sheep and it had some company and and uh, 
had it out there in the pasture and we got a call one day and the neighbor said, you got a sheep stuck in the fence over here. And I was like, oh boy, because not all the sheep were that that tame and I really wondered which one it was going to be and what was going on. And anyway, I went over there and here was this little lamb. We called him Houdini because he got out so, so much. Um, so we named him Houdini. But anyway, um, so Houdini was stuck in the fence. And I went over there and he was just growing little stub horns. And he had stuck his head through the woven wire fence. And then, of course, when he went to come back, the horns caught on the wire and he couldn't get out. And I mean, he was stuck. And it took about all of my strength to get that lamb's head pushed down and twisted sideways to get him out. Well, I'm used to working with cattle, not sheep. And so my expectation is whenever you, whenever you pin up a cow or have a cow in a bad situation and, and you get them loose, even if they're a fairly tame cow, they get away from there. Like they're done. That's, that's enough for them. I'm out of here. And that's what I fully expected to happen with this lamb. His head popped out of that fence and I let go of him. I was down on my hands and knees and he just came over and he just leaned up against me. And, just, and I rubbed his head and I stood up and walked across the pasture and he was walking so close behind me his hooves were landing on the back of my crocs. He wanted to be right with me. That's what I'm talking about, folks. I'm talking about shepherd-sheep relationship. That's what the Bible's talking about. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus was talking about when He said, I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's what Jesus is talking about. There's a relationship understanding there. There's trust there. And that has to be there for this shepherd-sheep thing to happen in our congregation. That's going to have to be established. And I believe that we're going to have to get a handle on this concept if we're going to be successful long-term as a church. Maybe I should say that we're going to have to get make this a reality if we're going to be successful long-term. One of the things, one of the responsibilities that leader ha leaders have is to help direct. That's what it means to shepherd. It, it means to not... Yes, it, it's the relationship, but it also means to direct. And so one of the responsibilities that leaders have, and it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility to think about that I, as your pastor, it's an humbling responsibility. Think about that I, as your pastor, am responsible to direct us as a church. And I want to treat that as a sacred trust. We have three general options for... We have three general options for long-term church direction. I'm going to give you the two wrong ones first. And I'm going to give you two examples. And I don't want you to run away with the examples. Okay? The first wrong option is to give lip service to this model, but generally not follow it. So what does that look like practically? Well, part of the expectation is that rules will not, in this in this option of direction is that rules will not produce righteousness. And leaders tend towards teaching more than shepherding. And there's generally, usually a lack of a knowing pursuit of a knowing relationship, a close relationship with the congregation. Members, lay, lay people in the congregation point to the servant model leadership 
but in areas where they disagree, they don't follow it. They don't, they do their own thing instead. Even though spirituality is claimed, the focus will often tend toward the structure, towards the skin, towards the practical applications. That's where the focus will be. People do the minimum they're required to do and often fudge or blatantly disregard brotherhood agreements. Leaders are forced to spend their time on problems and making it appear, which makes it appear that they are rules-focused. This church, this church model, where we give lip service to this shepherd-sheep relationship, but we don't follow it, will go to the world every time. Leaders end up feeling like they have two options, either the world or rules, and neither one of them is the right answer. All right, I told you I was going to give you an example that I didn't want you to run away with. But it's a practical example, and it's something for us to think about, okay? It's to get your mind going, not just to hone in on this. So for around the past five years, the ministry in the West Rockingham District of Southeastern Conference agreed to sit segregated as an example, the, the men, men and their wives, ministers and their wives, to sit segregated as an example to their congregations. During that time, I heard more about creating a double standard than about reasons for our decision. I don't know of any couples who changed their practice on the basis of their ministry's example. Now, I want to... I want to flesh that out just a little bit, okay? My point is not really about segregated seating. My point is, what are we watching? What are we following? So we had a discussion about this as, as leadership recently. And the question that I asked was, or, or what I posed to the other ministry is this. If we're trying to set an example and people are not engaging with that example, then the question we need to ask is, why are people not wanting to follow our example? Does that make sense? And it's not so much about segregated seating as I'm using that as an example for you to consider. Who are you following? That's my point. And if we're going to have a shepherd-sheep model in our churches, the laity is going to have to follow their leadership. The other side, the other option, is the rules option. When the term shepherd really means fence builder. Because I didn't have a real shepherd. I'm not a real shepherd because I have a fence that I put my sheep in. A real shepherd doesn't have a fence for his sheep. His sheep follow him. They stay with him because he is their source of, of safety and direction. This kind of church is more like the bee farmer's relationship with his cattle. It's, it can seem safer because it limits what people can do. But, the pro but it has a real fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem is that there's no real relationship between where 
the shepherd is and where the sheep are other than how well he can build fences. That's the only thing that really establishes the relationship of their proximity. And if, if, the, if there's a hole in the fence or if, if they start to see problems, they will go. And they will go like our little lamb went. And they'll go farther and faster than anybody can keep up with. And you don't have to think too long to think of examples of when this has happened. People have, have left conservative groups and they have gone way, way, way out. Way far away from Biblicism. These churches often develop problems with hidden sin and when folks find holes in the fence, they run as fast and far as possible. So I'll give you another example. A couple generations ago, we built a fence around the TV. Probably three generations ago. But some folks would watch TV on vacation and over with the neighbors. Now there's a strong push to build fences around internet because it's become the TV on our phones for many in our circles. Are we going to only be able to keep away from things if we build fences around them? The third option is to get serious with the shepherd-sheep relationship from both sides, both the, the leadership side and the laity side. This has the idea of voluntarily going together and I'm going to use myself again here as an example. So I asked you a question here a while back. Do you want me to be your pastor? I don't know if, how many or any of you remember that. But pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. And hidden behind that are, are a couple questions. From your perspective as part of this congregation, is where I am going as your pastor is that a good direction? Do you trust where I'm going? Do you sense that I have a heart of love for you? Would I lay down my life for you? For me, as a leader, I have to ask those same questions of myself because I have a responsibility to take you in a good direction. So is my direction good? Am I worth following? And in part... That's going to mean, since my leadership isn't perfect like Christ is, that I will also have to need to lead you in being first to admit when I'm wrong, that I make mistakes, and I do. Do I see getting people close to the heart of Christ as the answer to, my, to our struggles? Am I seeking relationship with you? Am I striving to feed you Am I giving milk to those who need milk and meat to those who long for it? Now, in this whole I thing, I've, I've made this, I've used myself as an example. But you may see strengths in me that you may want to follow. You may see strengths in Kevin or Wesley or John that you want to follow. So you're not going to be exactly like me, per se, in this. So I'm not saying that you need to be exactly like me. I'm saying that you need to see the strengths and grow toward the strengths. I hope that makes sense. I want to give you a word of testimony as lead pastor here from my observation of our leadership team here at Mabel. Our goal is this shepherd-sheep relationship. I want you to know that. Our goal is this shepherd-sheep relationship. 
For you as members, do you have a spiritual shepherd? Is there someone, several people in your life who you are following? If you could choose four people that you want to emulate, that you want your life to be like, would one or more of them be on your congregational ministerial team? If not, this shepherd sheep principle for our congregation is in trouble. Because if your leaders are not people that you want to follow or that are in a part of the group of people that you want to follow, then you're not going to follow your leaders. It's going to be virtually impossible for this to work. And if not, can I ask you a few questions? What is standing in your way? Is it a bad experience in the past? Is there something about me that you're not comfortable with? And if so, that's where your input is so valuable and important. Is it an independent spirit? Or maybe the biggest question of all, how can we move in that direction? How can we go from where we are today and move in that direction? <clears throat> Following means to walk after, to be like. And every person li person's life and situation is different. So we are not talking about mimicking or doing everything exactly like the one we are following. We don't do everything exactly like Jesus did it. We don't wear the same clothes that he wore. We probably don't look really anything like him, but we can still follow Jesus by putting the principles of his life into practice in our own lives. Are we doing that? I'll give you an example. So about a year ago, I shared something with you relating to video. And I told you that I was sharing it from a pastor's heart. And here's basically what I said. Our agreement on video is that it that it be that it's sorry. Our agreement on video is that its legitimate uses for are for business and instruction. If you do not make a conscious effort to meet or exceed the standard, you will be negatively affected by video. That's what I shared with you as a congregation. How did it affect your practical application? What did you hear? Was it important to you to follow that? Now, again, I'm not lifting myself up. I'm just saying that I, as a pastor, saw that as something that is important for us in our day. I shared it with you as a congregation. What value does that have to you in your life? Are you following? Do you want to follow where I'm leading? <clears throat> Ultimately, I think we'd have to, we have to come down to this question. If we fail at the shepherd sheep principle, we are left with two options, the world or rules. I'm sorry, but that's all we have. And I want to be successful at the shepherd sheep principle. The final thing, the biblical view of the body of the church is a body. Leadership is a servant to the body. We are not the head. We're to be the heart. Towards the heart. Not the heart itself, but towards the heart. Close to the heart. Humble, lowly, servants that's our that's where we should be the elders among you the elders which are among you i exhort 
who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you. And that includes leaders. Lay all, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. If we want to have the grace of God, we're going to all have to be submitted to one another. Not just, not just you following me, but us submitting ourselves to one another. And may God help us to that end for his glory.